This is Wednesday, the 31st of March, and we're continuing trying to learn more about this higher Christian life, and especially looking at certain stumbling blocks that keep us from experiencing the kind of life with Christ and intimacy with the Holy Spirit that he designed from the very beginning for his children to experience. It is real, it is available, and it is for you. But we have to make sure that we don't fall into these pits, these step on these landmines that can sidetrack us to the point that we no longer seek for something the Lord wants us to have. So let's jump right in, shall we? Yesterday, we talked about one of the biggest stumbling blocks that many of us have when it comes to embracing this higher Christian life, and that's for expecting some sort of sign that I prayed, I committed my life to the Lord, and I'm sitting in the chair going, all right, show me something, make me feel something, uh, my heart flutter or some sort of goosebumps that last for an hour or, or just something to make me believe that what really happened, happened. And as we shared last week, that usually is not the way God responds because then our faith would be placed in the sign rather than in the completed work of Christ and his promises, like, for example, in Luke, where it says, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, which is the ultimate gift, to those who ask him? We ask, we believe, and we receive, because our Father is a good Father. Again, we talked about that yesterday. Today, we're going to talk about another stumbling block that a lot of people have. This is one that I struggled with for a long time, and that is the apparent or the assumed lack of biblical examples or biblical support or some sort of doctrinal position that allows me to embrace this higher Christian life and satisfies my innate skepticism that just comes, I think, from living in the world in which we do. What I want to see is it laid out in black and white. And if it's not, then I begin to have some doubts. And quite honestly, this hindrance that we have really results from looking at scriptures, not with open eyes, but with some sort of presupposition or pre-idea into a particular theological bent that we're only looking for things that satisfy what we already believe rather than coming to God's Word and trying to determine what it says on its own. Let me give you a small example. If you come to the Scripture already believing that God no longer moves in His church the way He did in the book of Acts— then you will discount and ignore and try to explain away every single verse that shows otherwise. You and I both know that's true. Anything that somehow flies in the face of our preconceived theological notion, which usually comes from our experience or our lack of experience with whatever we're trying to explain away, any verse that confronts that, we have to find some sort of explanation that lets us hold on to our position. Otherwise, we find ourselves out in the open sea, not knowing which way to go. And for many of us, that becomes rather scary theologically. So 
If you have not yet experienced the higher Christian life, yet you know others that have, then our self-defense kind of tendency is to downplay what they say they've experienced as something emotional or fleshy or are not really biblical because if what they experienced is true and we haven't experienced it, then there must be something wrong with us and we can't believe that. So therefore, what they experienced really wasn't what they said it was. It really wasn't a super intimate kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit. It was just like warm, fuzzy, something emotional something we're not really interested in. So to guard against that, to make sure that doesn't happen to us as we begin to embrace this higher Christian life, we're going to look at the scriptures today relatively briefly and just see what they say that the higher Christian life is supposed to look like. And as we go through these passages, you're going to realize that the higher Christian life is really the normal life that God has laid out for us. But since we have fallen so far from normality, what seems normal in Paul's day seems extraordinary in our day today. Let me go ahead and clear up some misunderstanding in the very beginning. Number one, the higher Christian life is a holy life, or it's a life of holiness. Holiness preachers of the last 200 years ago, and and even further back than that, that were instrumental in beginning the first and second and third great awakening in our nation, for example, these preachers preached a holiness message. And it's really simple. It really makes sense. We shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us at all. After all, they're preaching about the intimacy and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that now lives in each of us. Emphasis on the word holy. So if we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit, not the merciful spirit, the grace-filled spirit, the loving spirit, but the Holy Spirit, and we ask him to live his life through us, why would we not assume that our life would now emulate the very character of God himself, which is holiness? None of us likes to talk about holiness. None of us is interested in holiness because holiness means we have to do things we're not doing and quit things that we are doing. And since we live in this narcissistic Laodicean church age today, we simply find the idea of reigning in our perceived liberties, especially when it comes to our morality and our behavior as an abomination, as anathema, something we're simply not going to do. But let me just take a moment and look at the scriptures and and let you see what a holy life looks like, because I'm telling you that this life revealed to us in scripture is exactly what the higher Christian life is like, but it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in us and our own sheer will and determination trying to keep the moral law rather than having the Holy Spirit live his life through us. This is the life that the Holy Spirit will live through each one of us who yields ourselves to him, and by doing so, embraces the experience of the higher Christian life. Let me tell you what the higher Christian life is like. It's a life of such close intimacy that what was said of Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, could be said of you, that you walked with God It's a life so connected to Jesus 
that each of us will rest or dwell or live or make our home, or as it says in John 15, 4, abide, abide in Christ. It's a life that walks with Christ and is, quote, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as it says in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It's a life from Galatians 2.20 that has been, past tense, crucified with Christ. So no longer I who live, you who live, but it's Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in me. On the other hand, even though we've been crucified with Christ, It's also a resurrected life, since Colossians 3.1 says that those that are in Christ have been raised with Christ, and it's a life that's hidden with Christ. Colossians 3.3, yet again it's a life, 2 Corinthians 3.2, that is known and read by all men, openly manifested to all those out there to radiate the love of Jesus. It is a life, and I love this verse, that has lived in the love and insurance of the Lord in Jude 24. Most importantly, Galatians 5.25 says it's a life lived in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, it's a life from someone who walks in the Spirit. Galatians 5.18, someone who is led by the Spirit. Ephesians 3.17, it's one who is strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man. And we could spend all day going through some of these verses that lay out for you and me the kind of life God has equipped us to live by his spirit who lives it in us, this picture of the higher Christian life. But believe me when I say that this is just a sampling of what the Bible says. Let me give you one more example here from Psalm 24. In Psalm 24, if you want to know what this higher Christian life looks like, Psalm 24 basically in the first couple verses ask a very pressing question, the most important question that you and I as believers can ask, and then it answers that question. Here's the question. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? Who may have intimacy with God the Father? Who may be accepted as a son into the throne room of God? Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? This is Psalm 24, verse 3. The answer comes in verse 4. And here's the answer. He who has one clean hands, two a pure heart, who has not three lifted up his soul to an idol, And number four, has not sworn deceitfully. This is like the whys of the reason why we seek a, a higher Christian life, that I want to be able to have that kind of intimate relationship with the Lord. And I know that if I don't, that I can't stand in his holy place, and there's no way I can do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. For example, the answer four-part answer here. Answer one and two speaks of a clean hands and pure heart. 
Now, look, the Jews tried really hard to maintain clean hands by keeping the law to a fault. As a matter of fact, they were far more righteous outwardly than any Christian I have ever met in my entire life. Yet Jesus says in Matthew 5, 20, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, which it doesn't, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And our outward righteousness is not even in the same league or the same universe as the scribes and Pharisees, but even they could not have a pure heart. Matthew 23, Jesus just blasts them. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he talks about the fact that they had clean hands, but their hearts were deceitfully wicked. And neither can you and I have clean hands and a pure heart unless our heart is surrendered to the Holy Spirit and changed into something that glorifies God and de-deifies us meaning it doesn't place our flesh and our lives and our very being as the throne of our very existence, but yields that throne to him. If you'll also notice answer number three, number one, he who has a clean hand, number two, a pure heart, and number three is has not lifted up his soul to an idol, his soul to an idol. We're, we're not talking about lifting up your flesh to an idol, which is kind of like bowing down physically on your knees before some graven image or uttering praise with your lips. But our soul is the seat of our mind, our will, our emotion, our personality, our volition. It's basically everything that makes us us. And idols aren't always carved images or bronze statues. Idols can be money, fame, pride, ease of life, or self-gratification. Your idol can be your reputation or your love of self or the love of pleasure, which <laughs> 2 Timothy 3 says is results in having a form of godliness but denies its power or denies where that power comes from. Which one of us have not lifted up our soul, our personality, our wants, our desires, our, our mind and our will and our volition to something other than God. It's really simple. Without a deep desire for more of God or more of the Holy Spirit living his life through you, you will never experience all the Lord has provided for you in this world or in the world to come. Never. That he wants to have such an intimate relationship with us today that from the standard of everybody's normal Christianity, it would be an elevated life, a higher Christian life. It would be like a father speaking to his son. It would be intimate and passionate that we would know the Holy Spirit like we know Christ so that we would walk with God that it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me, that I have a life lived in the Spirit. I walk in the Spirit. I'm led by the Spirit, and I'm strengthened with might through the Spirit in my inner man. So therefore, when someone says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? The answer is nobody. No human is able to do that in and of himself. You cannot control your thought life. But it's only when I yield my thought life, I yield my body, I yield myself to the Holy Spirit, 
that he is able to live his righteous, holy life through me. And therefore, I am able to ascend to the presence of the Lord, stand in his holy place, because I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to empower me, which is exactly what God designed when he created us and chose to turn our bodies into temples of his spirit living in us. I know this is a lot today, but if you can just wrap your mind around what your life can be like, surrender to him. It is my prayer that it will develop such a hunger in you that you will not cease seeking after more of him until he satisfies you with all that he is. I do pray this has been a blessing to you today, and we will talk again tomorrow. Until then.